So welcome to our next Harvard Macy Institute podcast. I'm Victoria Brazel, and today I'm joined by Sorsan Abdul-Razig, and we're going to talk about something called glocalization of health professions education. And I'm going to get to that in a minute, but uh, by way of introducing this topic, we know, we certainly know at the Harvard Macy Institute that healthcare and health professions education are increasingly global and interconnected. And for many of us, this is a great thing and has many benefits. But there's some risks because, surprise, surprise, the world is not the same uh, the world over. There are some important cultural and contextual differences in the settings where we deliver our health professions education. So to introduce my guest, Sorsan, uh, you're a native New Yorker. You're born to Sudanese immigrants. You're a mother of four. You're a hospitalist physician, multilingual, world traveller. You've been in the UAE now for more than 10 years and uh, very relevant to this conversation, you're currently the Chair of Medical Education at the Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi, which is in the United Arab Emirates for those who uh, need a little geography lesson. And so globalization has been a way of life for you. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Victoria. It's a delight to be with you today here. Excellent. Well, you better give us a little bit of context here. Now, I've read some of your papers on this topic, um, but I'd like maybe if we could step through the example of your work in uh, in the UAE and uh, tell us a little bit about the background to how the so-called Western influences came to um, exert their uh, effects in the UAE and then um, how has that created both some opportunities and some risks? Sure. So much like many countries in the world, uh, I think Westernization essentially has been defined by the adoption of practices and systems and cultures of Western Europe um, that uh, that essentially started during colonization um, and continue to persist uh, either through compulsion or influence, but or, 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 or voluntarily. But the idea is that they do persist in many parts of the world uh, experience with the British um, back in the 1950s and 60s, uh, initially. Um, oftentimes, those influences persist through decades and, 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 and continue to be relevant uh, in so many different areas of, of development. Um, and so the UAE's uh, you know, story and success really has been in identifying uh, their priorities, uh, their national priorities, their cultural priorities, their social priorities, and uh, in, instilling those in everything that they do as they move forward over the decades. Hmm. All right. Well, just uh, again, because I, I feel like there may need to be a little bit of history geography lesson here. Um, the UAE, there's 10 million people there. You're on the Arab Peninsula. Uh, tell us about the sort of healthcare system in which you work. Yeah. So uh, the UAE is a young nation. It's only, it actually this year is its 50th birthday. Um, and uh, it is a very progressive nation that has developed rapidly. Um, many different sectors have developed. Of course, initially it was the oil and gas sector that predominated, um, and they're uh, you know have gone through significant reform over the last decades, moving from that fossil fuel based economy towards a more knowledge based economy. Um, and so, of course, sectors such as healthcare and education have 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 really had a lot of investment uh, in them. And so uh, during over the course of even my time here, which has only been about a little over a decade, um, I've seen significant, uh, significant commitment and dedication to moving um, healthcare services towards really world class care. So the structure of the system here is extremely centralized. It's not like the U.S. or other parts of the world where 
we're used to having a pretty fragmented system, a pretty large machine. Here, it's, it, it is a small system with centralized governing structures um, in healthcare. Anything from healthcare financing to licensing to to education are, is regulated by usually only a couple of regulators, and those are very emirate based. So the UAE is uh, made up of seven emirates. Um, I happen to be in Abu Dhabi, which is the capital and the largest emirate, and so our healthcare system is regulated by the Department of Health. Um, and again, their scope is broader than than in other parts of the world. Um, and so uh, the nice part of, about that is, of course, as you can imagine, you can have a consolidated strategy. You can be a more nimble in putting things forward. Um, and it's much easier to measure what you do uh, generally. And so having said that, um, you can imagine there are pretty, pretty significant implications for medical education as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so I read an article that you'd written for the Journal of Graduate Medical Education back in 2013. And this was, it seems, part of the journey where, first of all, the um, Western healthcare administrators arrive, help develop the services. uh, And then there's a sort of issue with how we're going to develop our physician and other health professions workforce. Uh, Do we send them off to be residents in other countries? And then they come back and maybe... um, there's uh, people who are your contemporaries who might have been in that category. And then you think, well, how are we going to have proper homegrown residency programs? Uh, and I think at that stage, you were in the process of setting that up with your other colleagues um, across the UAE, trying to set up a graduate medical education system, bringing with it the sort of consistency, competency-based ideas, but perhaps recognising it wasn't going to completely translate. Tell us about that. Yeah, so that was a very formative time for me, and I feel like it was a very fortunate experience. Um, so yes, it was. You know, this was uh, like you said, early two thousands, mid two thousands or so, where um, there was a realization by the government that uh, medical education uh, was beyond just sort of a lofty goal of having competent physicians, but actually a key and a critical component of of ensuring uh, relevance of the health system, right? So ensuring that you have a workforce that's well-equipped and in the areas that need to be, that they need to be specialized in, in the geographic places where people are and so on. Um, So that realization was really key in terms of their, I think I see that large sort of jump that they've made in this last decade. And so that was point number one, just recognizing, wow, this, this, you know, medical education, the outputs, especially of graduate medical education, really need to align to the health system um, requirements. The other, the other piece was, yes, there was an influx of people like myself, uh, people who trained outside, but also, you know, just as importantly, were their own Emirati nationals who up until then in the previous decades had gone outside gotten training, came back and wanted really to, to contribute back to their system. So uh, uh, as critical components or critical members of my team were those individuals. Um, and then it was thinking about, okay, um, how do we, now we know that we want our educational outputs um, to to align to what we need. So how do we go about in, in doing that? So you can imagine a very large part of that was uh, collecting data, right? So knowing what's on the ground, uh, getting a sense of it, and then instituting things that would help us continue to monitor that data. So for example, the institution of a national match system, which we take for granted in many countries that we come from over here, didn't exist. Um, and so what I understood, you know, I had my experience had been as a resident in the US with the match thinking, oh, that's just the place that, you know, that puts me, you know, where I figure out where I'm going. But really working here, it's clearly the also, uh, the the repository 
of the movements of the workforce um, and, and actually a key component in, 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 um, in determining how many practitioners we have, right? The, the very fact that the match essentially dis- determines the number of positions in each specialty across a nation, uh, that in and of itself obviously has a, has, has a major lever towards workforce uh, strategy and planning. And so um, they st- we started with the match. Uh, we did a lot of reform there. Uh, we then looked at, uh, well, how do we standardize educational experiences and how do we make sure that there's a competency-based framework uh, around that? So, you know, thinking of thoughts of accreditation. Uh, we then looked at the regulatory framework, frameworks around that. So how do we recognize residents from a licensing perspective? You know, how do we make sure that CME requirements uh, um, actually align with um, with educa- clinical practice challenges and so on? Um, and so to, to make a long story short, and, I, and I'm hoping I'm answering your question here, the idea was um, having that centralized look at the system and understanding how what, how we augment uh, medical education tracks actually have real uh, on-the-ground effects in terms of delivery of care. Yeah, and I guess uh, to sort of come back to the globalisation idea, clearly this also means that uh, the Emiratis trained locally can go overseas and synchronise with whatever programmes might be there, and likewise uh, physicians from other countries can come to you and everyone has a sort of mutual expectation of what training means in a particular specialty or even in an undergraduate kind of context. Uh, But then I guess sort of fast forward, and I'm now reading your more recent editorial in the Postgraduate Medical Journal uh, this year, where uh, you had a lovely phrase, this process, though, has sparked discourse around the potential for homogenization and cultural dominance in medical education. That sounds like a very uh, nice way of saying we don't all want to uh, speak American or Canadian or British or... (laughs) Uh, and there are some very real differences that we risk in this idea about um, quality. We don't want necessarily homogeneity or uh, cultural um, deafness. Right, absolutely. And, you know, it's we all know, those of us, uh, you know, who, who are watching children grow in this world, you know, are seeing that the experiences of the world the the world expect the expectations of those 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 young people now are very much homogenized. People are listening to the same music, wearing the same clothes, ex- having the same aspirations, and you know to some extent there is absolutely a, a a good side of that, right? So a beneficial side where you know you're all, you're hopefully advancing um, um, systems across the world. But like you said, there's an underbelly, um, and the and the fear there is well, you know, in homogenizing. Um, you know, are we really homogenizing, right? So are there um, issues around importation of cultural paradigms, right? Um, and, 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 the, the, and the question is in that process, are we ensuring the primacy of, of local and community expectations or, or needs? Um, so that's, that, those are some of the thoughts, you know, that, that I've had as a medical educator in this increasingly globalized um, health professional education world, um, you know, it also means that there's a, as, as you've mentioned, you know, there's a transfer of, of faculty and, and trainees around the world. Educational institutions are now setting up uh, internationally. Um, there are many great examples of those here, uh, you know, in, in Abu Dhabi, for example, we have NYU Abu Dhabi, which is a fantastic uh, uh, institution, well-known, very reputable, and, and here serving the community, right? So um, so many of those, Duke NUS uh, in Singapore, um, 
uh, Cornell Qatar, right? So many of these different institutions moving onto that global scene um, and clearly bringing practices that will advance their respective areas. But the question also becomes, well, how do they incorporate uh, the local community and, and those really important uh, mm. constructs into what they do? Yeah, I'm going to deconstruct this because I think what we're saying or what I'm hearing is that this is a little bit related to institutions, it's a little bit related to people, it's a little bit related to pedagogy. I'm going to give an example that I hope doesn't trivialise the weighty things we're talking about. But when I was growing up, we used to watch Sesame Street, which, as you know, is American. And uh, one of the worst things that I picked up was saying Z. When of course I meant Z, ah. uh, and I have a Z in my name. So when I was spelling it B R A Z I L, uh, my Australian people would tut tut about the Americanism that I was picking up from Sesame Street. Uh, but it's but but it, it goes to your point, doesn't it? Uh, particularly young people, these influences are powerful, and um, although Sesame Street had much good in it, uh, it certainly was not a homegrown local content. And there's reasons why in K through twelve education and for children's programs, a lot of countries now do insist on a certain amount of local content because they appropriately wish to preserve local culture. Absolutely. I love the example. <laughs> All right, well, let's turn to globalization. And again, I'm going to quote you. A neologism combining the terms globalization and localization uh, describing the adaptation of international standards to local needs and cultures. Uh, it's always a bit of a risk when you make up a word, isn't it? But this seems particularly apt. Yeah, no, it's 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 a fantastic word. I, I can't take credit. <laughs> there are other uh, individuals who who contributed to the concept. And yes, absolutely. You know, the the overarching principle behind globalization is essentially advancing health outcomes and systems responsiveness, right, to those local health needs. Um, and that's that's really the key behind all of this. And that's why it's important. So um, you've given me a couple of ways of thinking about this and uh, sort of some of this pertains to what you learn, some of it pertains to how you learn about it, some of it relates to who teaches it and then some of it relates to regulation. So maybe if we can take this through your local example as well, give us an idea about what this localization would mean in terms of the what of learning, the sort of competencies. Sure. I've sp yeah, I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. And so, you know, uh, when we're considering competencies, they, they're supposed to reflect underlying constructs that are important. Uh, and those constructs are important for our scope of practice. So the medical sort of biomedical pieces of this, the medical knowledge piece. But there are other constructs that are very socially informed, like professionalism and communication skills. Right. And, and all these other wonderful things that, that we that uh, that we try and, and model, teach and, and assess, essentially. Um, and so coming here in the UAE as a young professional at that time, uh, you know, uh, it was clear to me as I was doing my rounds with my trainees, you know, and I'm talking about what I expect of them from a professional, from, for example, from the angle of a medical professionalism, you know, it was clear that I, I was coming and imposing certain aspects that, that perhaps didn't quite fit the culture. Um, and so, so that's where the whole sort of thought process started with me, which was, well, well, how, who's defining these contracts and uh, constructs and, 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 you know, who am, who am I to come and impose some of those constructs? Some of them are relevant and they may not actually, there might be other constructs I'm not even picking up on. Um, and this is me as, by the way, somebody who is, uh, as I mentioned earlier of Arab descent speaks the language, you know, um, but it was clear that I was not 
quite in, in New York yet and, 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 and definitely was in Sudan. So this was a different context for me. Um, and so, so yes, yeah, so the what of learning becomes, well, you know, is it appropriate to look that patient in the eye, for example, or shake hands or whatever it is that we've decided in the West uh, is the appropriate mannerism of a physician, right? Um, and so that's, a, that's an example of, of the what of learning. So I went back to say, you know, let's look at how we compose those competencies uh, from from a local perspective. Yeah, and uh, I think it'd be worth thinking about this professionalism because, again, more publications of yours thinking about that. And I see you um, got a sort of stakeholder and an expert group together uh, and have published the idea about, sure, when you think about the competency of professionalism or the domain of practice of professionalism. There's many things that are going to be very similar, but there were some different ones when you started to think about how that might be uh, more appropriate in the UAE and the Middle East. And I'm just going to, again, quote here, uh, things about incorporating culturally relevant constructs, including spirituality in professional practice and the role of family and community in patient care decisions. Uh, that must have been a very illuminating process to, to go through as people teased out these similarities and differences. Absolutely. And it was so much fun too. So so um, when do you get to sit and, and come up with a de novo definition of a really important construct? You know, uh, it's, it's, it's rare in, in the Western world, at least. So here there was an opportunity. Um, and so, yes, I sat with a group of uh, primarily Emiratis uh, and UAE nationals, uh, clinicians, trainees, um, uh, educators, you know, uh, policymakers. So different hats they wore and um, and essentially thought about, you know, what does what are the attributes of a physician that you would consider of a, or of, a, of the profession, professional physician. Right. Um, and as you know, Richard and Sylvia Cruz say, uh, you know, what does it mean to think, feel, and, and basically be a physician in the UAE? Um, and so in that, we used sort of multiple uh, consensus gathering methodologies. And it was really neat that we came up, one, with universal traits. That see, When I say universal, I mean traits that aligned with uh, already well-established constructs in the Western world. Um, so there were traits that were that were similar, like uh, accountability and respect, and you know um, uh, the pursuit of, of lifelong learning and all these different things that that make sense that would be um, viewed uh, as as a, as essential to being a, a doctor. Um, but then there were these other constructs that that were so beautifully defined and so culturally defined, such as uh, the construct of ihsan um, in Arabic, which is uh, sort of the the, the pursuit of, of, of the pursuit of beauty or the the, the pursuit of benevolence, um, and that fact that that construct really should stem from something other than a social contract, which is so different, right? So we all know professionalism in the West really. Uh, comes from uh, a sort of civic code, a secular contract, um, a social contract that's, that is drawn between physician and society. Here, the construct was, no, this should come from something much more integral to you as a human being and something that really should be based on faith or spirituality or accountability to something much larger than society. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how, I mean, you know how how do you how do you put that in words? But we tried to in in our consensus statement. Yeah, exactly. And the other one that maybe won't be as surprising to people as a difference, but uh, 
in the Western definition in your article here, you know, primacy is placed on obligations towards safeguarding individual and patient autonomy versus your Arabian definition, primacy is placed on obligations towards safeguarding the rights of family, community and system. Again, that won't be surprising, but it's probably an important process to articulate it, isn't it? It is, it is. And, and as you've said, it's been found in other Asian cultures and, and Eastern cultures and generally collectivist cultures that value the unit rather than the individual. Mm, absolutely. All right. So that's kind of the what of learning, thinking about competencies. We've gone a deep dive on professionalism, but we can imagine that within all sorts of domains, there might be differences, even if it comes down to what sorts of diseases are important here and all sorts of other things. But why don't we turn our attention out of the how of learning? Because it's struck me particularly, and I guess the one I'm most familiar with is Australia and Southeast Asia. When I have experienced educational activities um, in Southeast Asia, uh, it does feel different, surprise, surprise, and there are notions about how teachers and learners will interact that are not the same as the ones that I have at home. Uh, but I guess that's just the tip of an iceberg that uh, you've thought about, I'm sure, about the sort of pedagogical practices that need to be glocalised. Yeah, no, it is, and you're right. You, you immediately know that it's different, and then it takes you a while to figure out okay, how exactly is it different, right? And how do I incorporate that in my practice? So yes, I mean, obviously those, you know, the, the modality of, of, of teaching um, or assessing, right, or role modeling um, may differ across cultures. And so a nice example um, of that would be, for example, in feedback, right? So we, again, the literature on feedback is extremely Western defined, how you're supposed to give feedback, when you're supposed to give feedback and, and so on, right? Um, and those, you know, again, when I came here, and, and by the way, this is not just feedback for your learner, but feedback in, in, in terms of team dynamics and peers and other, you know, sort of other members of the healthcare team. So how do we, how do I do that in a way that is one, efficient, constructive, effective, right? Um, and, you know, are the, are, are the, are the expectations of that feedback, um, interaction the same and you know sur not surprisingly they're really not right so there are certain er um, elements of being extremely cognizant of 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 saving face right uh, being cognizant of of uh of cultural or, or, I or i should say really differentials in power um and how those affect the feedback um session um, and, and so on. So, so that's a nice example of pedagogical principle that we try and keep in the West and deliver in, certain, in a certain way that may need to be adapted here in, in, in different contexts. Um, another one is, for example, team-based learning. And does that work in all contexts? And, you know, and, and how, do you put it, how do you put it forth in a way that, that actually makes sense? So, so yes, it's, it's a different place. Yes, yes. My experience was in simulation where we spent a lot of time talking about speaking up and all these yes. principles that we would be telling people and others would be nodding at us. But I knew it didn't, it wasn't really flying, at least in the way that we were trying to explain it. So as you say, this may still be an excellent thing to think about. It's just, it just needs to be approached differently. Uh, on the note about feedback, uh, Shiva Romani was very excited to know that you and I were going to be speaking oh, because uh, she's fantastic. very interested in, in that um, as part of yes. her feedback research yes. as well. Yes. All right, so we've thought about the what, we've thought about the how, uh, the faculty, clearly that's going to be important. You mentioned role modelling and those sorts of things. 
of course, it's not just about the curriculum and the interface between learners and teachers, but this all happens within a system. And one of the things that you've clearly spent a lot of time at at a kind of national level is how does this system then fit in with your health delivery models and uh, the way things are funded and uh, the way maybe the policy decisions want to drive the kind of medical or other health professions workforce that you want. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, and it's, it's it's so relevant. It's sort of the the milieu in which all of this education happens, and oftentimes it's it's somewhat neglected, particularly when thinking about the export of accreditation systems outside, right? Um, and so the idea is, well, are these systems considering um, the the actual you know setting that we're in, the regulatory environment, the medical legal environment? Um, are they even considering the 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 biomedical issues that that are different, right? So endemic diseases, for example. Are they considering different health delivery models? Do we deliver care in the same way in the same places? Um, do the, and do those accreditors take that into account? Would they require X, Y, and Z? Um, you know, in, in their in their accreditation frameworks. Um, you know, are they are they t- are they looking into inter- interprofessional team dynamics and how doctors and nurses or other health professionals communicate? And are we asking, are we putting things on OSCE checklists that don't make sense or in simulation debrief? Uh, you know, forms. Um, are we aligning expectations with regulatory, real regulatory issues that have direct impact on uh, on that interaction with the patient, such as kinship or you know end of life uh, regulations and so on. Um, and so, um, and then lastly, of course, scopes of practice differ so much across the world. So an internist is not an internist is not an internist, right? Um, and so and it's a really interesting, particularly here in the UAE, where I get the privilege of working with so many colleagues who actually trained in different systems, right? In the U.S., at, at least in the U.S., we do sort of a washout period. No one actually practices unless you redo your GME there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, here, you bring that, you know, they come as they are uh, from their systems with differing ways of, of, of viewing themselves at, within their specialties and what they can and cannot do, right? Um, and so so that's, you can imagine that, you know, then you, you're already in a very diverse faculty with a diverse um, trainee population, and you're trying to come up with um, areas of, of consensus. And so do these accreditation systems look at those and factor those um, so those are those are the, sort of the larger level issues that that pertain to the to the ground with education. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I guess the last segment of this that I want to talk about is really uh, globalizing this for the Harvard Macy Institute listeners, in the sense that uh, it might be easy to think this is something that happens for Sorsan. This is something that happens in the UAE battling the Western globalization system. But it occurs to me that we've got a lot of opportunities here just to be a little bit more self-aware about things we might be missing in any cultural divides. And indeed, the fact that maybe the so-called Western system has a fair bit to uh, th- reflect upon um, as we consider the impact of other cultures who are taking some of these concepts and doing them differently. Uh, what about the bi-directionality of this globalization? You and I have had a bit of a thought about that, but uh, tell me what you think. Sure. I mean, I, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I agree with you in that there is definitely a potential to learn from non-dominant cultural practices, right? And, and particularly in areas in, in, uh, where we don't do so well um, or in, in areas where, you know, outcomes are not so great. And so, um, you know, an example would be, you know, we talked about earlier, which is, you know, do we 
Um, do we account for the family enough? You know, when we're thinking about uh, take, how we take care of our patients in the U.S., do we do we you know do we account for them? How do we put them? How do we involve them in our interactions when it is uh, beneficial to that patient or something the patient wants? And, and are we training our physicians to be able to um, to balance responsibilities towards the entire unit uh, when again when it is appropriate and important to them? So there are absolutely things I think that we can take away. And you're right, you know, in this. I have to say, if there, if anything we've learned in the last couple of years in this era of, of social reckoning, um, it's the it's the influence and importance of subcultures and acknowledging them and understanding they exist and and, and actually addressing them and, and again in our educational uh, practices with our with our trainees. Um, so yes, even within the U.S., for example, you've got all these different subcultures and all and many of them have uh, you know differing views and important views that actually impact their health utilization, their, their health outcomes, and and how they how they uh, see their relationship with the health system. Yeah, and I think one of the challenges is we make so many assumptions about uh, who's around us and what they're thinking, and it can be very hard to turn that into something more systematic and reflective and. Uh, inquiring um, because of course even within cultures people have got a huge variety of differences haven't they and to make an, a bunch of assumptions uh, and so I wonder if some of the lesson is actually just about us being a little bit more self-aware because maybe we have got our antenna up for cultural differences when we've got someone yes. who we see as very obviously different but maybe yes. um, we get a little bit lazy when we're seeing someone who appears to be close to us. Absolutely. So I think you're right that near cultures are an important consideration for any practicing health professional. How do we have the, our trainees address those, um, acknowledge them and incorporate them in their practice? Mm, absolutely. Well, I feel like uh, this conversation really reflects rather nicely on some of the work that Liz has done over many years, Liz Armstrong, uh, bringing people together at the Harvard Macy Institute. And although there's so much work to be done, I, I feel like certainly my time there has exposed me to a lot of other ways of thinking about education than I had certainly had. Um, certainly some of that has been North American focus, but a lot of it has been looking at different things. And more importantly, I think it is that uh, meta level of having some thought about it and uh, I certainly hope that's the that's the take home from here uh, so where to for you in this work uh, Sorsan? Um so that's a good question there's so much to be done um, so again I, I, I with so I happen to be uh, very privileged to privileged to be working with the Cleveland Clinic in Abu Dhabi and the Cleveland Clinic is one of the enterprises that is going global uh, and moving forward in its its idea of, of bringing or improving health outcomes to global populations and so I see that I will hopefully be doing this in, in different settings um, in, in the coming years. Mm, excellent. Good. Well, uh, it sounds like with your multilingual uh, background, you may be spreading your wings wider. The Cleveland Clinic might be asking you to do some other things. And now I can attest to the fact that you speak both American English and Australian English. So thank you for bearing <laughs> with me. Oh, thanks, Victoria. It's been a pleasure. I just I just had one more thing and one one additional thought. And going to your point about um, uh, you know the uh, the Harvard Macy Institute and the way that they've um, really brought people together to look at these things from so many different angles. I think you know the key, and, and this is this is really something that I've taken a, you know across the different settings that I've worked is the key is about connectedness and and just understanding that there's really a single 
human condition that we're all trying to understand and 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 uh, and care for. And so, and, and and that condition is colored by experience and and context, and has powerful influences on health. And so, I think if we, it's hard to 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 expect the 21st century health professional to ever understand um, and at all subcultures and dominant cultures and so on. But if, if, if that's the core of, of the way they approach that patient, um, then, then I think that's really what, that, what allows for cultural humility to be able to learn, um, engage, and then, and then incorporate um, things in our practice that just uh, that hopefully facilitate that, that patient interaction. Well, that sounds like a lovely philosophical point to uh, close our conversation on. It's been lovely to talk to you. Uh, for the Harvard Macy Institute listeners, we've had Sorsan Abdul Razik talking to us about globalization um, of health professions education, and we'll look forward to more from her publications, uh, uh, attendance at Harvard Macy, and uh, maybe we can have you on the podcast another time. Oh, I'd so love much. to come back. Thank you, Victoria. I really appreciate the uh, you know the platform and and really your your diligence. So thank you. Thank you.